0: Today is Tuesday, October 13th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, episode 378, featuring longtime NBA writer and also the author of The Soul of Basketball, Ian Thompson, is powered by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today for your free sign-up bonus. Well, welcome in, everybody. Another new edition of Celtics Beat here on a Tuesday. And for the first time, we're actually having one of these shows after a completed NBA season. Let's bring in, of course, Evan Valenti. You know him, producer, sometimes host of the program. And Ian Thompson, our featured guest, who is a good friend of the show, has been on many times. Although the last time, Ian, that we had, John, was right before the season. And uh, I know we were texting you know, we were uh, thinking of each other, I suppose, as as the Lakers were hoisting that Larry O'Brien trophy, because we had a a pretty good debate going into the year as to who was going to win a championship, and in particular, where the Lakers stood. You, from the get-go, big on LA. I was very skeptical. I don't remember, and I haven't gone back to listen exactly what I said, although I do remember saying, I didn't think they'd win. I didn't even think they'd make it to the finals. Maybe, you know, conference final or something like that. But clearly, they went out. They were awesome. It's been about a year. So, how are you? How's everything? And we can dive into the L.A. stuff, too.
1: Uh, you know, I, re- I think I'm doing as well as anybody could right now. Everybody I know is healthy and getting on. Um, you know, I've, watching these playoffs, I was just amazed at how well it all came off. I was I was a real level skeptic going in I thought mm-hmm. they were really taking a risk because they were they might be hurting their product by playing in these conditions without fans and that people might not enjoy the NBA the same or even worse that you may end up feel like feeling like you're watching like a, a B movie like you had a level stars but they were being directed by Roger Corman or, you know, something, <laughs> you know, uh, whatever. It, it, that was, the production value was going to be really bad. And it turned out to be just the opposite. Um, as I was watching these games, I hardly even noticed that there weren't fans. Um, and you surely couldn't tell from the play of the players that it was just as intense and hardworking as ever. So I, it's it was a real revelation to me that it worked out so well.
0: I'd love to say congrats to the Lakers on their title, but I wouldn't mean it. Nevertheless, they won the championship, beat the Heat, uh, I think achieved a lot of things both teams in the process. As we know, Miami knocked off Boston and uh, – Really won the rash of injuries, would have made it a more competitive series if Bam Adebayo hadn't gotten down. He did return. Uh, Same for Goran Dragic. He missed multiple games. But, you know, what Jimmy Butler did, I mean, everything that I have thought about Jimmy Butler over the course of his career, I'm not going to say I was wrong about it because I think at the time I was right and a lot of people were right. But now, obviously, he's turned heads, he's opened eyes. And, you know, before we even get into L.A. and LeBron and Davis and so much to talk about on that side of things, just to... I mean, that was a – Jimmy Butler's the kind of guy that a lot of people thought, you know, one, not a great teammate. Two, you can't necessarily win with this guy. He can't be your number one. And I think he showed the opposite across the
1: board. You know, it's, it's just the perfect team for him. They had a need for him. He had a need for them. Um, there are some places where a lot of players cannot play. You know, and Miami's one of those places. I think you have to be a player that's searching for something. You have to be a hard-driving player that's really bottom line, and you have to be looking for what they offer. And you look around the league, there's not many places that offer what my uh, that can offer you what Miami offers. LeBron was in the same position when he went there in 2010. He needed what they could give him: the the discipline, the hard edge, the focus, um, the leadership. Uh, where everybody's pulling in the same direction. <clears throat> I mean, they know how to win championships. Pat Riley knows how to win championships, and everything's geared about trying to win. Even when he doesn't have the players to do it, he's geared around it. So Jimmy Butler fit right in. If I'm honest, watching that series, the whole series, I'm saying, man, we will never have that in Milwaukee. You know, mm-hmm. just never. He will never experience that esprit de corps and the the – the commitment to defense, the way they play, and just the way everything, everything's structured to win the championship. He, he'll never have a, he'll never have a teammate like Jimmy Butler there in Milwaukee. Um, you know, I, I, I just read the other day that 36% of the general managers in the NBA before the season picked the Milwaukee Bucks to win the championship. And that just tells me that 36% of the GMs have no idea what it takes to win a championship <laughs> because they just wow. don't have the talent. They don't have the guys around them. They, they He doesn't have a number two. He may not even have a number three star. Maybe Chris Middleton could be a number three, but I, I'd i almost wonder if he's more of a number four on the championship team. Um, so it's just crazy to me how many teams are not structured to win. And Miami – They may not have the players, but they definitely have the structure.
0: What did you learn from, you know, everything that you're talking about, and obviously you wrote extensively about it in your book as well, with regard to LeBron leaving Cleveland that first time, going to Miami, teaming with not just Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, but more notably, Pat Riley, Eric Spolstra. And, you know, he talked about it very recently during these finals, what that experience taught him about leadership and about, you know, as you're outlining what it takes to win. What do you think, because we've seen what he has done since, you know, the four finals runs in Miami, uh, nine finals in the span of 10 years now, and, you know, winning the four championships, four finals MVP, lifting so many not-so-great players or average players or fringe Hall of flame, Famers to to new heights, obviously, throughout, you know, what what has been an incredible decade. Jimmy Butler is not the player that LeBron James is, so don't confuse the point, but what becomes of Jimmy Butler now, do you think? You know, where, can this be a taking off point in his career, even though obviously he's a guy in his young thirties?
1: Well, I I think we saw him peak in in this playoffs and in the finals, and you saw, you saw his performance rise every series. His efficiency rose, his production rose. He played better with every series, so... As the games got more important, he he approached his best. And at his age, you know, and and having played this well, I, I just don't think he can play any better. Now it's a matter, is he a magnet? Is he the guy that showcases what Miami's all about? For a guy like Giannis to say, okay, I'm, I am I want to go there. And Giannis and, and Bam bio, they have the same agent. Um, so I think everybody in the leagues can be watching Milwaukee uh, the summer to see what, what, what Giannis does. Does he accept their huge money extension or does he leave the door open and say, I'm going to wait a year and decide before I commit to staying here long term. <clears throat> and if he waits, everybody's going to think, okay, Miami, maybe Dallas, maybe because Luke is there, but um, I, I just see that as, as a, a perfect fit. And the way that we never saw the LeBron James thing coming, you know, is, all of a sudden wait Miami he's going to Miami you know it, that came up like a, a couple of weeks before he actually decided. So as far as Jimmy Butler I, I just think he's the guy he's the bridge. Uh, he's sort of is he as good as Dwayne Wade? No but that Dwayne Wade was the guy that pulled those two to Miami. He pulled Chris Bosh and LeBron to Miami. He was already in Miami. He was able to tell them what it's about. He was able to show them what can be done. That's what Jimmy Butler's done now. And and he's not only raised the profile of Miami, but he's also raised his own profile from persona non grata to being the guy that if you really want to win a championship, he's a great guy to play with. And you see how well he gets along with Goran Dragic, the great relationship they have. Goran Dragic is a real gamer too. Um, the way they fought, kept fighting, even when they, they had no reason to think they could stay alive. Two of their best players, three best players were hurt. And they kept going at it. Um, the way they play, who wouldn't want to play in that kind of offense where it's just so intelligent, it's just so smart, the way they share the ball and being so committed on the defensive end, the way they are. <clears throat> Again, if you're, if you're geared to win championships, it's like a dream come true to me. So sounds like I'm making a big recruiting pitch for Miami, but yeah. Yeah, as you're wa- as you're watching the games, you just can't help but think that way that a guy like Giannis, just like LeBron, 2010. He he was in Cleveland. He did everything except to win a championship or or excel in the playoffs, and he had nobody around him to help him do it. He was doing it all by himself, and I, I think that's where Giannis is now.
2: Yeah, that could obviously shake up the entire conference a little bit. You know, the Giannis moving anywhere, but yeah, you know, it's kind of a kind of a moot point. You know, we we don't know. We're too early in the offseason to no, know what Giannis wants to do, and it seems like you know with the stuff he's made public that Milwaukee is at least attractive to him. But, you know, you go back to this past series, LeBron gets his fourth ring uh, and shot almost, what, 60% from the field for the entire series, which is pretty ridiculous for a wing player, never mind a guy at his age as well. Like it's, he's truly a remarkable player. I mean, at this point, you look at his accolades, how many titles. I mean, in a row getting in the NBA Finals is unbelievable. It's, it, it, his track record speaks for itself, and he, he tends to – Somehow, like, even get better as he gets older. It's kind of like a Tom Brady thing. He's sort of figured out basketball in a different way than most people have. He's so cerebral now. He's seen everything. This And, Adam, I think you and I talked about this when the when the bubble started, that this particular bubble would favor teams with veteran players on it who've kind of been there and done that and, and aren't, you know, totally shocked by a, a, an abnormal environment, right? LeBron has been – through so much adversity throughout his career. And that's what happens when you've been in the NBA for such a long time. Um, but it's been through all the highs and all the lows you could possibly have. Right. So I know people were sort of shocked that the Lakers were a favorite. They're like, oh, why are the Lakers a favorite? They don't have a bench. And they don't have this and that. Well, they had LeBron James, who is, you know, his IQ and his history throughout the NBA was probably the most valuable asset here. But what I found interesting is, Ian, when he was done was what he said at the end of the NBA finals. And it's like, I, you know, I want my damn respect now, too. And I kind of find that funny because, like, doesn't everybody hold LeBron to, like, the, the at the worst? He's the second greatest player of all time. What, what respect in your mind, Ian, is he looking for? I, I don't understand exactly what he's go, getting at other than he's just trying to stir something up here.
0: Uh, some idiot tweeted me after the fact saying LeBron wasn't even a top 10 player.
2: Oh, stop that.
0: I'm, I'm just saying that's Twitter. Twitter that. That's Twitter's, Twitter's LeBron, the worst. But the, but yeah. that's but that's what I mean. There are all those people out there. Michael Jordan, that's a whole other conversation. Michael Jordan was very probably happy, but certainly benefited from the fact that he didn't play during the social media age. You know, give an extra feather in LeBron's cap for even going through all of this. But, but, but please, Ian, go ahead with uh, Evan's question.
1: No, it's a great question, Evan. And it's just making me think of the conversation that Adam and I had, you know, last year when we were trying to pick who's going to win the championship. And that was a big reason why I was picking LeBron and the Lakers because he was not getting respect at that time. Scotty Pippen at that time, you know, last summer, um, before this forever season started, um, <laughs> Scotty Pippen came out and said, well, you don't really have to worry about LeBron anymore. He's not a great player anymore. He's just 17 years in the league. You can forget all about him. <clears throat> I mean, I think that really stuck with him. And then you saw LeBron talk about, I may get my crown back and all, all these cliches, but clearly they're, they turned out to be true. But here was a guy. What, so he'd been to what nine straight finals. And then he gets hurt. So he finally has an extended injury for the first time in his career. He wasn't playing any defense. Uh, he'd openly uh, looked for his teammates upon whom he was counting in Los Angeles to be traded so that they could get Anthony Davis. You know, he walked into the locker room with a glass of wine while he was hurt. And, uh, there was just all, he, he's not gonna be able to lure any players to play with him. Uh, there was just all this negativity and it like, Everything he'd done over the previous nine years—it was like it all went away in the matter of a few weeks or something. People forgot all about it, and it just reminded me of Michael Jordan, the way Michael Jordan used to take all these slights and turn them into his own production. He—he, he, it was fuel for him, and and so he he, it drove him. You know, this whole um, LeBron Michael thing—it's it's starting to become. Uh, less of an argument of differences and more of a comparison of similarities. I always used to say, everybody always used to say, Michael has the, had the killer instinct and LeBron doesn't have it. Well, this year, the Lakers, I think, were 57-0 and when they had the lead going into the fourth quarter, 57-0. and And there's two words to explain that, LeBron James. I mean, he <laughs> finished every game. He was the closer. He was is like the perfect closer. And he's taken all that experience and all, all that talent and he's putting it together along with this ambition to prove everybody wrong and put, say, say uh, you need to remember who I am. And he made sure they, they won every, every single one of those games, which is unheard of, it's just unheard of. So I, I just think that the guy had a lot going for him this year, he's now got four titles, uh, Anthony Davis learned a lot this year from playing with him, got a lot tougher, got a lot more focused, had no clue what it's like to play in the playoffs. Anthony Davis coming in and now he went through a bubble where he was in indoors for three months, not seeing anybody. Um, it was like a, it was like a boot camp for three months, but with a playoffs on the line and he learned how to win the championship under that circumstance. So. LeBron's going to age for sure. He's not going to have this um, built-in ambition thing driving them going into next season. He's not going to have to prove people wrong anymore. But Anthony Davis is going to be better. And they're always going to be able to get um, role players, uh, especially veteran role players, to come to L.A. for a cheap price and play with them. They'll always be able to get those guys. So... I think there was always an assumption that LeBron's never going to catch Michael Jordan in terms of titles, but now I think that assumption's flatly wrong. Like, you know, they're not going to win the next two. They're not going to win three in a row. I think that that's asking too much, but they can win two out of the next three and you'll have six. And if he has six and Jordan has six and LeBron's got that long run of going to the finals year year after year after year after year. And doing it with three teams and coming back and winning in Cleveland in spite of everything that goes against the team in Cleveland, including Kyrie Irving as your top teammate, you know, um, all of that stuff put together, he now really has a chance to, uh, to be up there or to be seen as being better than Michael Jordan on the merits. And again, it all comes down to this killer instinct thing. It was always like LeBron wants to be liked too much. He wants to. He doesn't have that ruthlessness. And now I think you see he does have it. So the guy just keeps growing after all these years. And it's it's really amazing.
0: Yeah, I think uh, just something that comes to mind, he was interviewed by Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter after, right after winning the championship. And uh, Van Pelt asked him a question, said, you know, if, if you at, what is he, 35? You, 35-year-old LeBron James, if you were to go one-on-one with – 27 year old lebron james who wins that game and he just laughed and he said i'd whoop his ass because okay. you know like i'd say all 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 that freak athleticism you got nothing compared to what i've got upstairs and i would you know i I'd, I'd dominate him i would dominate him because of everything that i've learned everything that i've been through everything that i would be able to put into that but i think uh while i agree with a lot of what you're saying i think it, it one thing you didn't say is it really to me hedges on these future championships, Anthony Davis's return, which obviously he was asked about after the fact and didn't really want to go near it. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people presume he will be back, but still he's going to look at free agency, see what his opportunities are. How do you think this plays out? Is, is this for him a no brainer to return to LA?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure it is. Uh, it would be such a shocker for him having gone to so much trouble uh, to get there as quickly as possible, um, uh, you know, including using his father in um, in an interview to nullify any chance that the Celtics might try to trade for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everything he did to try to get there, um, he never, uh, never came close to having a chance to fulfill himself or prove who he was or what he could be. He didn't even know what he could be. He didn't know how he was going to respond in the NBA finals. I mean, nobody knows until you're there. Um, for him to have a chance to play with a guy like LeBron and then to know that as the years go by, Anthony's gonna become more and more important and LeBron's going to recede a little bit. It's just a natural thing. It's gonna be more and more Anthony Davis's team and less and less LeBron's team. I mean, LeBron's always gonna be the guy, charismatically, um, and he's gonna be the ball handler But you know he may get hurt every now and then, and he he may be leaning on Anthony Davis more often. Um, So I I think there's a way of Anthony for Anthony Davis to look at the future and say, look, if I stay here, this is not going to be a Shaq and Kobe thing where people are going to say that Kobe never has a chance to fulfill himself because Shaq's always there. Uh, I think as the years go on. There'll be a a passing of the torch and, um, they'll stay teammates. Um, uh, and LeBron will go out of his way to give the credit to Anthony Davis in order to keep the thing going. Um, and they'll just, they're just going to win more championships together.
0: Lots more to talk about concerning this LA team, the NBA. Obviously, we're going to get into some Celtics this is after all generally a Celtics focused show, but I think it's all <laughs> this is all very relevant to, you know, what's going on in Boston because as you noted, Celtics desperately wanted Anthony Davis, didn't pan out and uh, you know, I think another thing that we could mix in and talk about if we feel like it is, you know, how might the heat have looked different if Gordon Hayward had chosen Miami and not Boston because those were really the two teams that he was between. So that's, you know, it's another kind of part of this whole thing, but uh, one thing that I just – I I don't want to forget to mention this, and I, I just – I keep seeing it all over social media. I never would have guessed, Ian, after all these years of it just being said in passing and nobody ever questioning it, that saying the Lakers have 17 championships would be viewed as a hot take. <laughs> you know, it, it. you've got a lot of just butthurt Celtics fans in particular out there that are pointing out, very quick to point out, that while the Boston Celtics have 17 championships – The Los Angeles Lakers have 12, and that is what they should have because in L.A., they have 12. The Minneapolis Lakers had five. One of those, the first, came in the BAA, not the NBA. So, you know, if anything, you might say the Lakers, as an NBA organization, have 16 championships, not 17. And, you know, what are we going to do here? Uh, view the Oklahoma City Thunder as, as having a championship because Seattle won, and that's the same technically organization. Because it, So these are these are all basically Celtics fans especially – and I don't really think anybody else is doing this, but Celtics fans are tying themselves into pretzel knots trying to argue how in fact the Lakers have not tied the, Lake, the, the Lakers have not tied the Celtics in total championships with the 17 apiece, as the league recognizes it, by the way. 17 for the Lakers, that is according to the NBA and basketball reference and all of that stuff. That is how it is viewed historically, uh, even though Lakers themselves didn't acknowledge the Minneapolis portion of the organization until uh, the early 2000s. You know, it it, it used to be for a a long time under the bus ownership, it was viewed as, uh, you know, whatever it was six-time champs, and and on up through, obviously, where they are now with the 12, specifically in Los Angeles. So that's a very long-winded way of asking you, how many championships does that organization have to you?
1: Well, let me put it this way. I understand the angst of Celtics fans because forever and ever the Celtics have led the league in championships. That has defined them. They've been the runaway leader. Um, and so if you're, if you're with a bunch of Celtics fans and you're sitting in a room, all of you can get together and devise really strong arguments that they should not, the Lakers should not get to include those Minneapolis titles. And the Celtics should still be viewed as the, the leader in championships. And that'll all work in your room when you're talking to each other and you'll all nod and you'll all agree. And it's and I'm not, I'm not going to argue with it. No one can. It makes perfect sense. It's logical. But when you step out of that room and you talk to people in other cities, no one's going to want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to want to talk about it. You're going to say really well back when the Celtics were winning all those championships, what, there were nine teams in the league and uh, how many playoff rounds were there. And um, you know, It's, there's no free agency back then. And then what also hurts, what also hurts the argument when you get out into the larger world is the fact that the Lakers have just been so dominant in this modern era. Ever since Bird and Magic came in, they've been the dominant franchise and they are to this last, what, 40 years, what the Celtics were to what the first 30 or 25 or whatever. So um, the Lakers have all the momentum. And in the modern era, they are the Celtics. They are. The Celtics have what one championship in 34 years or something. How many do the Lakers have in that time? So by the rules by which they play today, free agency and players can go where they want. And, um, there's an allure to franchises now that makes a huge difference, even though the Knicks have yet to figure out how to make use of that. Um, <laughs> the Lakers had, had, were were founding fathers of this NBA that we play in that we have today. And so I, you just can't, I think, I think if you stand in the, sh- the green shoes, you can understand this argument that, the Celtics should still be seen as champions of the NBA. But everybody else is going to see it as the minority subjective opinion. And you won't have a chance of convincing anybody else in any other city of the way you see it.
2: Two, two quick points, really quickly, because I'm usually the conductor of the C's have more titles than the Lakers train. One, the saw this on Twitter. It's a very good point. If Celtics fans wanted to claim this, this had to start a long time ago. I feel like the, the the recency bias of this is like, okay, no, wait a minute. No, they're here now. Yeah, this this is a problem. He had, the argument I think is the most valid is if you're going to argue this, this had to start like in the 90s. Yeah. And and when Shaq and Kobe started doing their thing, that's when it needs to start. The other argument I'll make is, is a point that Simmons made, I think this past week. Then if at least at the very minimum here, the Lakers have to retire George Mikan's number then. Because you have to at least acknowledge that he was the best player on those early teams. <laughs> he has numbers <laughs> got to go in the rafters then. If you're going to claim the the Minneapolis-Lakers titles – and I I was like, wow, that's a phenomenal point. I didn't think about that. You've got to retire Mikan's number. And then that – I think that would smooth it over for me a little bit easier because I'm, I'm, I'm part of the like, no, 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 They don't – they're going to take five – you know, they're going to take the five from Minneapolis. And, and mm-hmm. the argument I always use is the, you know, the, the, the Sonics-Thunder argument. And then – what do you do with the Baltimore Ravens titles? Because they left Cleveland and Cleveland got their own team. And then it's just – it's really complicated. So, I, I look, if the Lakers – I don't really – it doesn't really bother me. Look, the, these are the two most historic franchises in, in the NBA. And to be involved in that kind of conversation is a powerful thing. I think people are making way too big of a deal of it. Um, but the, the argument of this should have started years ago is, I think, the most valid one against the argument of the C's trying to – seas fans trying to say that they have more than the Lakers do. I just want to add, by the way, I see more credence in the whole NBA versus BAA thing. That's a good one, too.
0: Even if it's just plus one, like, I mean, what do people look like in – you know, look at in in NFL history, it's, you know, you've maybe you've won X number of Super Bowls, but there was a point in time where the Super Bowl was not a thing. You won NFL championships. And so if those teams prior to the Super Bowl had world championships, they're not credited with additional Super Bowls. The Super Bowl didn't exist. So if you win a championship in the BAA, should that be credited toward your NBA? That I see more validity in that than anything else that we've talked about.
1: But you're right. Like nobody's, Nobody thinks about the past until it's forced upon them. So like your, your point, <laughs> Evan, neither the Celtics nor the Lakers were thinking about it. The yeah. Lakers weren't thinking about it when they didn't think about, uh, retiring George Mikan's jersey. They weren't thinking about it at all. And the Celtics haven't been thinking about it either. Otherwise, now, now if, if Red Auerbach were still alive and thriving, you know, the last ten years he would have been talking about Minneapolis <laughs> right. as the La- as the Lakers crept up. Right. You know he would have, right. and he would have been banging a drum. But just shows how much we lost when we lost him. <laughs>
0: Well, let's take a quick break. Just want to tell you the wait is finally over. Football is back, folks. Already five weeks into the season, you might not be at a game this year, although some people are across the country. Either way, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online NFL futures. How about the Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champs, plus 400, the Ravens, who have not been quite as good but still are led by the reigning MVP, Lamar Jackson, plus 500 odds to win a Super Bowl. Seahawks, plus 750. We all know how good Russell Wilson is in having an MVP caliber year. Packers as the bleep you tour continues for Aaron Rodgers plus a thousand despite a lack of weapons around him everybody's all banged up Tom Brady's Buccaneers at plus 1600 as they slowly work to figure things out with Tom Brady there and uh, the Patriots you could still get a good number on them right now plus 3300 to win the Super Bowl if you got a couple extra shekels lying around that you want to invest as we wait for Cam Newton and Stephon Gilmore and others to come back after a couple postponements and an unscheduled bye week. Just something to think about if you have a little extra rainy day fun lying around and you want to invest. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today. You can start off wagering on win, division, and championship futures as well. Don't hesitate; A lot of options available for you. Just head to Bet Online today. Take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So, Ian Thompson, as we discuss so much concerning the Celtics and Lakers, let's blend the two because. Uh, I will frame this in such a way that people, no matter how you feel about the number of championships debate, this uh, this is going to be correct, the way that I lay it out. Rajon Rondo is the first Boston Celtic and Los Angeles Laker to win a championship for both squads. I know that he is technically the second Celtic Laker because there was you know, a player way back in the day, the, you know, 50s and 60s to do it back when Minneapolis was still a thing. But again, that's a whole other conversation. For Rondo, this has now started to creep into the social media sphere and it's only going to be ratcheted up if he stays in LA and obviously wins additional titles. But right now, two championships, one on either side of this rivalry. And, uh, you know, at a point in time was obviously the best point guard in the entire NBA. Has a lot of great statistics. And I also want to add NBA Hall of Fame not as difficult to get into as maybe some other hall of fames because it's not the NBA hall of fames, the basketball hall of fames collective on and on and on. Is Rajon Rondo a hall of famer?
1: Mm. Um, Let's, let's uh, table that and see how he does next couple of years with them. He should definitely stay with them. He was their third most important player to me. Um, He was the bridge between LeBron and the rest of the team. So when lebron if Lebron was out of a game, or even when LeBron was in, Rondo could h- handle the ball, and that was the kind of guy that LeBron has been begging for for much of his career, that secondary ball handler, you know, a guy to take pressure off him and to have that guy be Rondo, who's just so great in the big games uh, and in the playoffs um, and the fact that he's become a much better three point shooter. Uh, he's become more coachable he's become better with his teammates um, the rondo in this series is so much different from the rondo that everybody knew in boston um, i mean it's a big part of my book um, when when he gets himself nearly kicked off the team the day before a, a big playoff game against lebron's miami heat for throwing a vitamin water bottle at the tv screen during a video session and Um, just acting, as Paul Pierce said at the time, just so selfishly and only caring about himself. And and that Rondo is not this Rondo today. Um, I remember doing an interview somewhere and Wick Grosbeck, I was doing it with Wick Grosbeck and Wick said, you could see Rondo becoming an NBA coach and I laughed on camera with him (laughs) at him. I'm so I was so, I'm so wrong now. I'm so wrong. Yeah. But at the yeah. time I was like Rondo could never be a coach. He can't get along with anybody. And it's all about Rondo. And now it isn't. Now yeah. he gets it. And did you see this on the court after the Lakers won? Rondo went over to LeBron and you know, you're just kind of reading lips and body language, but I had the strong impression he was thanking LeBron for making this whole thing possible, for sort of giving Rondo this chance to get back on the stage and to show what he could do. And I saw Rondo basically recognizing LeBron as the guy who made it possible for him and thanking him for doing so. That's what I was guessing he was saying and and it had a lot of validity to it. Um, when Rondo was here, he was playing with older guys and they were counting on Rondo to carry them and he wasn't up to it. They. they Garnett was old, Paul was old, Ray Allen was old. They needed him as the young legs to, to do things that they couldn't do and give them a chance, and he wasn't up to it uh, in his head. Well, like, the, I mean, there were a couple
0: to do that. You know, LeBron yeah. had – or uh, Rondo had said, um, whether it was said about him or he said personally, maybe during that um, – back in the old area 21 show with Garnett and when the Celtics teammates Pierce and uh, and, and big baby Rondo, obviously he didn't say much when he was there perk before he became the media sensation that he is now, all those guys were in that room. And, you know, Rondo all but said, he hated LeBron. I mean, with every fiber of his being before they were playing together, obviously. And at that time they still weren't playing together, you know, back when he was on the other side of the rivalry or when, you know, obviously that's Cleveland, then he goes to Miami and all of that. stuff I mean, he hated, Hated Lebron. There's yeah. that famous picture that's now circulating again on social media of, of you know Rondo taking that picture with a fan who's wearing the Lebron is a bitch T-shirt, and he's just pointing at it and smiling. Uh, you know, it's that whole you know how it started and and how it's going meme that's floating around on on Twitter these days. But it, it's not just that. The whole thank you for making it possible, getting him onto that stage for himself. I think that you know Rondo sort of let it, some people behind the curtain. Uh, at, you know, during that post-game media session, acknowledging the importance, just how significant it was to him that he was able to have his son in the bubble with him there toward the end and to be on the court with him and have his son, who's almost nine years old, experience that and see his dad in that way. Because, you know, he could have heard, yeah, I won a championship back before you were born. But, you know, one, he wasn't alive. And two, even if he had been, he would have been so incredibly young, couldn't have, You know, had any sense of what any of that means. And now to have a couple of kids and his son specifically being there to witness it uh, very clearly just means the world to him.
1: Yeah, he's again, he's just an older guy, a more experienced guy. I I remember, do you remember this? I remember uh, a big game on a Sunday afternoon in Boston and um, Rondo went into the Miami Heat huddle. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and LeBron shoved him out, and Rondo was like, "Hey, they didn't call a, call a timeout. I can go wherever I want." And he was just, and then he asked, and that was the same game. He asked to guard LeBron, and he's in there hounding LeBron, knocking the ball away, and uh, he totally drank the Kool Aid, the Kevin Garnett Kool Aid. I'm hating LeBron in Miami, uh, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett Kool Aid. Yeah. So, yeah, it's. It's really something, this is one of those moments to see him winning in a Lakers uniform. It really is sort of like um, you hop a span of a decade kind of in your head. You, you skip mm-hmm. everything that went on in between Dallas and Chicago and all the other places he's been and all the right other now. things he's done. And you just think about how he was in Boston, how he is now, and it's like this giant leap that he's made. But he, he, if he stays there. And wins more championships and the scene is like, uh, you know, that, that key older guy, that Ron Harper, uh, and he has his Boston experience to go with it. Um, and you know, I was one of the guys saying back in the day that he was the best point guard in the NBA, um, with the Celtics for about a year there. Uh, so you, I, I think if, if he wins a couple more championships there, it, he is going to go the whole thing. There'll be a lot of people saying that
2: he shouldn't. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the Rondo experience. I, it was fun to watch him play defense again for a bit. It's been a while. But he was like picking people's pockets against Houston. I think he had like three straight possessions where he picked somebody's pocket. I, it was as much as I don't like rooting for the Lakers, I did root for Rondo. I, I felt myself a little torn in that figure of the direction because it is good to see Rondo thriving in an environment that really suits his talents and again he's so cerebral I mean he he's it was so fun to watch him when he was younger because you would just see stuff that everybody else would see and you would you would watch him my the favorite Rondo play of all time is him in Golden State where he's driving the middle lane and does like a 360 behind the back pass to Ray Allen in the corner for a three-point shot that Ray buried like not I mean, who sees that? And it's not – there's a select few people that can in NBA history, never mind just at that time. And and Rondo's just a special talent, and it's it's cool. Um, it's unfortunate he got out of the Lakers. I'll, I'll throw it that way. But it's cool to see that he's kind of back feeling himself again and, and comfortable again. I, I've enjoyed the Rondo renaissance, so to speak.
0: I guess we should congratulate Avery Bradley too. I know he wasn't in the bubble, but he did help them get there. Not that they wouldn't have gotten there without him, but just – 'Cause I mean you had LeBron, you had Davis. But still Bradley's <laughs> gonna get himself a ring. And uh heck Demarcus Cousins is probably gonna get himself a
2: ring. Even Deion back. Waiters is gonna get a ring. Yeah, this was, is incredible.
0: Yeah, I mean and, and we can't say that Dwight Howard's not a winner anymore. He's gonna get a ring clearly, and uh and and you know, not that he was already a Hall of Famer, and I it's kinda of crazy to me that anyone is even questioning that. But you know, this further cements that case. But uh let's uh in, in the interest of time, let's let's focus a bit more on on the Celtics themselves entering what is uh, now an off season league wide, and there are reports coming out that this is such an incredibly fluid situation, Ian. But uh, you know the league is thinking well one you got the draft coming up next month but then december 1st for free agency january 18th martin luther king day for the start of the season and we'll you know hopefully uh, according to adam silver the commissioner with fans in uh, you know in home arenas and and no more bubble or isolation or anything and you know i i'm skeptical i think everybody you know should be and and it'd be foolish not to be as as we sit here obviously in mid-october but long way between now and and mid-January. But what Danny Ainge has to worry about is, you know, none of those things other than obviously draft and start a free agency. So what is the approach here ultimately with what is a – you know, very I mean they're capped out. There's, there's no cap space. There are questions. You know, Ennis Cantor reportedly intends to opt out. I don't think as as much as he was a a great soldier, a phenomenal teammate, a real glue guy, from a specifically on the court sense, I don't think a lot of people are gonna be, you know, crying any tears over that. Opens up more opportunity for some others, particularly Robert Williams. Um, you know, you'd be nice if you can find a way to shed Vincent Poirier's contract. Um, you know, Gordon Hayward is is your biggest question of the offseason as to whether he decides to opt in, opt out, sign for, you know, less AAV over a longer period of time, or, uh, you know, maybe Danny Ainge even considers trading him. There are a lot of options that are on the top of the table. So how do you view this, this Celtics offseason in terms of, you know, not what's facing Danny Ainge. We all know what's facing Danny Ainge. What do you think Danny's going to do?
1: Well, I guess, first of all, you wait to see what Gordon Hayward's going to do. And it would be crazy for him to walk away from $34 million or whatever it is, I think. Especially, you know, he he really has not, through no fault of his own, uh, he's not fulfilled um, the potential that, everybody saw when he came to Boston. Uh, he's not given the return that you can see he's capable of giving. And again, not his fault, but they just haven't got the return on him. So why not come back for one more year, have a great year going into your contract year as a free agent and put a lot of doubts to rest and do it with a team that really needs you. I mean, they really need Gordon Hayward at full strength. Playing a full season as a secondary ball handler, uh, a, a playmaker, a guy that really has a great feel for when the team needs him to score and when they need him to set up other guys. Um, he's, he's just brilliant at that. And he he makes them a smarter team when he is really involved. The, the ball goes to the right guy. Um, Their pace is better. They're more in control of the tempo of the game when he's playing. Um, it's almost like a two guard front a bit. You don't know, you don't know where the play is going to come from if he's on the court with Kemba or Marcus Smart. Um, so I would think he would be coming back. I mean, that, that would be the logical thing. It just makes so much sense for him to come back and have a great year, uh, with a team that's built to have a great year. And then go into your contract year uh, from a position of strength and weakness. So that's the first one. this uh, Kanter, you try to replace him with a big man who can actually guard big bodies, who can give you a little bit of that edge that, say, Dwight Howard gave to Lakers, where you knock people around, you intimidate a little bit, you know, what Aaron Baines gave them a couple of years ago. Uh, he's going to be a free agent. Maybe he comes back. There's not a lot of candidates to fill that position the way the NBA is today where, uh, you could get a guy to give you that physical presence and yet he doesn't kill you on offense. Um, Aaron Baines was shooting three pointers by the time he left Boston and he's still doing it this year. So, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe there's something to explore there. Um, the only the only trade that I heard someone else I've heard people talk about that is intriguing to me, but I just think there's too many question marks is if Victor Oladipo really wants out of Indiana and Greg Hayward is from that part of the country uh or Gordon Hayward is from that part of the country, w um would there be something there? Would there be mutual interest? But no one knows how healthy Victor Old Depot is. And the Celtics have already gone through three years of uh, not knowing what they were going to get physically from Hayward. And um, I, I just, unless they're absolutely sure that Oladipo can get back to his old self. Again, this is a team that also had Isaiah Thomas suddenly <clears throat> unable to be his old self because of an injury. So, that one is intriguing to me, but I I just don't know if it's realistic. So for me, when I look ahead to the Celtics' immediate future, really it all comes down to Jason Tatum. Can he continue to grow and become a top five player in the NBA? And uh, if he can, if that's what he becomes, maybe next year, maybe the year after, or maybe two years, three years, whatever it takes, then they have a chance. And um, if he doesn't, if he can't, then where are they going to get that player? Um, Adam, we've talked about this a lot. Um, I have a list in my book um, of the players who have led their teams to the NBA championship, and I think it's 20 players now or something. But over the last 40 years, since Bird and Magic came in, if you didn't have one of those 20 guys, it might be 19, it might be 21. I don't know. If you didn't have Michael Jordan or LeBron James or Larry Bird or Magic Johnson or Dirk Nowitzki or... You know, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, Tim Duncan, Steph Curry, yeah. Kevin Durant, whatever, whoever it is. If you don't have one of those guys, you can't win the championship in the NBA. There's one outlier, the Detroit Pistons yeah. won at their last championship when they upset the Lakers. Uh, they didn't have one of those guys, but everybody else has had one. The Celtics don't have the cap space to get one. They, I, I doubt they can trade for one. Their hope is that uh, Jason Tatum becomes that guy. And he's ascending, so he could become that guy, but it all depends on him, really.
2: You sound skeptical, Ian. You sound a little skeptical that that is even um, possible. I know it's a hard place to get to. Like, it's it's difficult. I mean, there's only so many of those guys, and you look at around the league, and if you had to peg one guy of the young stars in the league to become that person, I think a lot of people point the finger at Luka Doncic first before they point it at Jason Tatum. So, but... You know, Tatum's leap this year was significant. It's not like it wasn't. The guy, you know, once he was named an All Star, was just a whole different type of player on, I think, both ends of the floor. The shot creation you're starting to see, you know, hitting tough shots, creating for others. Defensively, he's become a real nightmare, especially as a help defender. Um, I think there's a real, real opportunity that Tatum at some point is in that top 10, top seven. Top five top three conversation, but it sounds like from what the way you're just kind of framing it that you might be a little skeptical on that
1: you know it evan it's a it's a great point, and it's like um it's a fine line, right because right. Um, you think about all of the players who have been top ten players who are not in this category that we're talking about that he has to be. Chris Paul has been the best point guard, never made uh, a conference finals. So he has not, he's been, he's, he's really had an amazing career and yet he wasn't that guy. Um, Carmelo Anthony had a great career, a lot of potential, wasn't that guy. There's all sorts of people that haven't been able to get there. Anthony Davis, if he hadn't gone to Lakers, would he be right. one of those guys? Perfect. Or would you say he's an, un, a, an underperforming player? When I, I, I spent a week in New Orleans a few years ago and somebody of high prominence in the organization said to me at the time, Anthony Davis needs to be around somebody that's going to show him what it takes. He doesn't know what it takes. He doesn't know how to play hurt. He doesn't, he's not tough enough. He's got to be with a Russell Westbrook or one of those kinds of guys and to see how those guys live and how they, uh, how they play through injuries and how it's just so important to them, this hunger that they have to achieve. And Russell Westbrook hasn't done it, right? He hasn't, he hasn't been able to win a championship. He isn't one of those guys that can carry you to a, a championship. So how is Jason Tatum going to get there? Right.
2: Uh,
1: does, he, does he have it in him? Maybe he does. Maybe he does. Not many guys do, but maybe he does. Are they going to be able to bring in some kind of player to uh, be a sidekick to him, to, to help bring that out of him, to goad him? To really be tough on him sometimes, be hard on him, um, demanding of him, uh, you know, not letting him relax ever. Uh, Jason, you've got to do it on defense. You're great on, you got to do it on defense all the time. Jason, you're not rebounding enough. Jason, that locker room at halftime, nobody was talking there, everybody's head was down. Why weren't you talking? Why weren't you saying something? I mean, the, the job of being that guy in the NBA is the hardest job in sports. The, the quarterback doesn't have that job in football, where you're in charge of everything. You're in charge of the social makeup of your team. You have to decide when you're going to share the ball, who's going to get it at certain times. You have to play both ends of the floor. Quarterback doesn't play defense. you got to play both ends of the floor for 40 minutes game. Um, when when the team needs something, you just got to say, I'm going to go do it all by yourself. You decide to do it, you're going to go do it. All that stuff. Is Jason Tatum going to be that guy? Maybe he will be. But there's no way of knowing he will be until he is. Until he is. So, um, and that's their hope. And look, they are in a great position. So many teams would wish they had a Jason Tatum, which would give them a chance of getting that guy. So many teams. Um, does Philadelphia have that guy? They gave, they passed on Jason Tatum. Do they have that guy? Is Joel Embiid that guy or would you rather have Jason Tatum? It's, it's, it's the most interesting part of the NBA is trying to figure out who that next guy is going to be. I mean, for years, LeBron James, people said he couldn't be that guy because he wasn't, didn't have the killer instinct and he faded under pressure and he didn't win a game in the fourth quarter. Well, look at who he is now. He became that guy. Um, I just think the Celtics could really, if we're talking about what they could use, they could use one of those tough-minded older guys on the team to really put an arm around Jason Tatum and say, I'm here for you, but it's not gonna be easy. And you're gonna hate me sometimes, but you need this. And someday you're gonna look back and be grateful, but some nights you might hate me, but man, you need this. So. That's where I think they are. It all depends on Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown can be a great player too. Um, he can be a great two-way player. Um, Kimball Walker is a finished product. We know who he is. Uh, Jason Tatum's the guy that gives them that chance to, to have somebody to go in there and to be able to match up with Anthony Davis someday. Not, not like head-to-head, but to do for his team what an Anthony Davis, what Kevin Durant, or what Steph Curry can do for their team.
0: I just think Celtics fans need to realize, and I agree with everything that you're saying, Ian. I think Celtics fans need to realize that, you know, going back a handful of years, right? You can go kind of go year by year with it in the sense that you have cap space. You finally make a free agent splash because you're able to do it. You draw a guy in, you get Al Horford. Following year, you still got cap space. You bring in a, uh, you know, a Gordon Hayward. Um, you know, you've, got all those Nets picks and draft capital, you make the trade, you bring in Kyrie Irving. You continue to have assets at your disposal. There's all the rumors all the way throughout. Will they trade for a Jimmy Butler? Will they trade for Anthony Davis? Will they trade for Kawhi Leonard? Will they trade for, you know, you name it. Um, Kyrie ultimately leaves, opens up cap space. They bring in Kemba Walker. Well, now we're at a point, and I say this on October 13th, acknowledging full well that this is a good team in a good spot that is still going to be in that upper echelon among Eastern conference squads, not number one, maybe not number two or three, but they're right there in that top half of the conference as other teams around them, presumably improve, be it personnel wise, uh, overall roster construction superstar, uh, you know, in in the scope of obviously Nets players getting healthy, even though I know Ian and I, you and I are, are both very skeptical. Evan might be as well as to the, Future success for Brooklyn. Doc comes into Philly. I don't know how much he's going to help there, but obviously he's a better coach than Brett Brown. So the conference as a whole is improving. The Celtics, unless you continue to get leaps, and there were big strides last year to this year, but unless you continue to get leaps out of, in particular, Jason Tatum Mm -hmm. and Jalen Brown, because Kemba Walker, well, a very good player, an all-star kind of is what he is and may even not be what he is because of that knee and the uncertainty of that going forward. You you don't know what to expect from Gordon Hayward because, as you acknowledged already, through no fault of his own, he has not lived up to the contract. You know, freak injury after freak injury. I think Celtics fans, as you know, I say this on October 13th, but I'd be, you know, hard-pressed to believe it's going to change in the next couple of months. For the most part, short of some sort of veteran tough-minded addition like you're talking about, I mean, they're running it back. Like, this same team is coming back next year. And I guess that would have me a little bit concerned from the standpoint of Danny Ainge said it in his postseason press conference. We learned we're not good enough. That was the quote. And so how do you get good enough when there's no one that you can necessarily bring in who is that no doubt about it, instant change You know, it's, you know, you can find, hopefully, anyway, you can find a veteran big man or, you know, handle those big bodies, or you can find some, you know, a sharpshooter off the bench. They really haven't, you know, really haven't had since, like, Eddie House. You know, but for the most part, the group that was here last year that very well could have made it to the finals, some believe should have made it to the finals, but probably would have lost to the Lakers, is coming back. So, you know.
1: No, it's it's a great point. Um, yeah, the, the, I mean, they could definitely also use that Lou Williams type of score off the bench. They were hoping Carson Edwards maybe was going to be that guy, or whoever was going to be that guy. They were hoping somebody was going to fill that role, but they just need to grow up. To you know, they when I when you watch them against Miami, the difference was Jimmy Butler. Uh, has played enough years, been in enough situations to really value where he was. Goran Dragic, too, unfortunately, got hurt. But those guys knew where they were. This was a once-in-a-lifetime chance for them to get to the conference finals and push through and get to the NBA finals. And they valued that moment. And it was the most important time of their basketball lives, and they played that way. And they weren't messing around. They weren't going to make silly mistakes. They were going to be very focused and disciplined. And the Celtics are just too young to be that. And we've seen that year after year in the NBA over the decades. The young teams get beat up. They get their hearts broken. They learn the hard way. Michael had to learn it. LeBron had to learn it. Kobe had to, they all have to learn the hard way. Um, that there's, uh, it's not that they have to reach higher. They have to reach deeper. They have to go deeper inside and figure out what they were lacking and then become that player that that can provide that. Um, the other thing I think we should just mention is that Danny Ainge is still the GM and I can't imagine what trade could be out there, but if you think he isn't thinking about trading the whole team,
0: because <laughs> right. he is, he's fearless. He and, is.
1: Yeah, no. So like, this is, this is the team probably that's going to come back, but if he saw a trade where he could get the great player and he had to trade away, most of the future of the team to get that guy and he thought it made sense he thought it made, made the Celtics better and he did it in a context where the Lakers now have even the Celtics in titles and you don't think what Grosbeck wants to move back ahead and sees LeBron out there with Anthony Davis and says by the time LeBron retires they are going to be two or three championships ahead of the Celtics I mean I'm sure the Celtics are trying as hard as they can every year to put together a championship team but if there was ever any extra ambition, any extra inspiration, it's right now when you look ahead. Anthony Davis is how old? Uh, LeBron looks this good. Um, Rondo could be there another couple of years. They're always going to be able to get more players around them. There's the Lakers. Uh, I just know he's out there trying to figure out a trade. You know, there probably isn't one, but you know he's trying, so – um, no one should just be relaxing and saying, this is it. To me, their best chance is Jason Tatum becomes that guy and the other guys turn around and they they find another great player in the draft somehow, you know, the way you can um, sometimes. Uh, and that's how they do it. But trade is possible, man.
2: Yeah, it's Danny's always had that mindset. I think and you can kind of read the tea leaves a little bit and you can kind of, you know, follow his quotes about – it feels to me that Danny understands that there's only a handful of players that really matter in this league. That's why he made the trade for Kyrie Irving, because he thought he was getting one of those players, you know? Um, and you know that Danny Ainge never afraid to make a trade, just to back up your point here. Like, there's only a finite group of guys in the league every year. And, th- and it's, and it's fluky. Like, as you mentioned, like, Russell Westbrook has a 1 1. <laughs> Chris Paul hasn't won one. James Harden hasn't won one yet. You know, like there are really good NBA players out there that have not even made an NBA Finals yet. There's only a select group. And Danny, I think, again, as I said, understands that they need to land one of those guys to really contend. You know, they had Pierce. What did Danny do? Go get KG. Go get Ray Allen and give Pierce some some significant help to get him over that hump that they, they had. Danny also sees an opportunity to draft one because that was the sexy thing at the time, right? Wasn't it like, oh, let's just tank and you'll tank and get, you know, a couple of draft picks maybe like Philly, you know, get Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. You get a couple of guys together. One of those guys, you know, you, the, the closer you, you draft the top three, the top one, the better off you are to find maybe one of those players. I mean, that's it's kind of been the mantra for some teams for the past couple of years, right? So now Danny has maybe gotten one of those guys. Again, he's still on the search for we don't We don't know. But I think – the way you've kind of broken it down makes makes me feel like at some point, whether it's going to be you know as drastic, I'm not advocating for this, but there could be a drastic day where Danny is like, you know what, I have to trade Jason Tatum to get this guy. He might actually end up doing it because he knows that outside of a few guys, the rest of the league doesn't really matter. That's interesting.
1: He would definitely do it <laughs> if he yeah. could get that guy that he thought could lead them to a championship. He would he would do it. I remember seeing him in Vegas, um, in the summer of 2010 at the Vegas summer league. He was sitting up in the stands by himself and I went and sat with him and they traded for Ray Allen on draft night. Uh, they had not traded for Garnett yet. So I went up and I congratulated him on the Ray Allen trade and he said, well, I'm, I'm still trying to get another player. And I go, I asked him what his like point of view was. What, how, how do you gauge when you're done? And he said, look, we have a lot of good players, but you look around the league and he knew he was, it was a play on words. It wasn't the right way to say it, but he said, there's a lot of quantity out there, but there's not a lot of quality. And he was saying like, there's a big difference between having a bunch of good players versus having one or two great ones. And that's why he traded just about everybody he could except for Rondo to go get. Kevin Garnett, because you needed that great player. They were, they were just gonna be okay with with Ray Allen and Paul Pierce, but they needed that extra guy. And so this year, they're gonna be okay with um, with you know Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker and Gordon Hayward. I mean, they're they're gonna be good, but nobody's gonna say that they should be better than the Lakers, right? I mean, the the Nets are gonna start the season as the number one team in the East on paper. They're gonna have um, Durant and Kyrie Irving and guy who led him in scoring in the bubble who looks like a really good third scoring option. Um, We've got Steve Nash coming in the way Larry Bird did for the Pacers that year when all of a sudden he was coach of the year in his first year as our coach. Um, you know, and the Nets are going to have like a real, there's going to be a real pressure on them to win it this year. I think they have to think like that just because um this is their best chance to get Kyrie Irving really focused for a year. And if it doesn't work out, maybe, maybe, you know, starts to go sideways a bit. So when Doc first came to the Celtics with, I mean, when Doc first got Garnett and Ray and Paul together, he said, we have to win this year. We can't be thinking this is our get our feet wet year and we win it. We have to think this is our year now. We have to win now. That's how the Nets are going to be. Celtics aren't going to be like that. The Celtics aren't going to be saying we have to win it this year no, they're going to be saying this is part of our progression, you know, we're still a young team, that's what everybody's going to be telling them. Um, they need that urgency to them. They need, they need to believe that they have to win now, like my life is going to be hell if I don't win the championship now. They need that kind of spirit. And have we seen that in them yet? We haven't. We just haven't because they're so young. They shouldn't have that at their age. They need to manufacture that somehow. They need to get that damn it, we're going to win it now. We aren't going to wait another year. I don't care how young we are. This is ours. It belongs to us. I don't care what anybody else thinks. They have to have that edge to them, and we haven't seen that yet. So can they develop it from within? Do they go out and get it? But that's what they need.
0: It's going to be a long, interesting off season. When I say long, don't be surprised if it extends. You know, again, Martin Luther King Day, January 18th, is what we're thinking about for the opener based on reports that are out there. If that all of a sudden two weeks from now became March, it would not surprise me in the least. You know, it's all yeah. a very fluid situation with the season projected to end in August. But again, when you don't know when it's going to begin, it's really hard to know exactly uh, when it's going to wrap up and even if a full season will be played and will they be done in time for the Olympics and on and on and on, not to mention what will travel look like, who will they play, how do you configure a schedule. So lots of questions to answer over the course of the coming months, including most especially sort of where we left off, which is how do the Celtics build? What do they do to... Uh, you know, expand upon what was a very successful season, but go to the next level, a level that they've not yet achieved under Brad Stevens and with this core. So it remains to be seen. But in the meantime, Ian, really appreciate you hopping on as always. We uh, we greatly uh, enjoy the, the insight always, every time you're on, and uh, we want to make sure we do it again.
1: I appreciate it, guys. really enjoyed it. Um, great spending the time with you. Thanks.
0: Evan, pleasure, always. Always, bro. You know that. All right. For Evan Valenti, for Ian Thompson, again, check out his book, The Soul of Basketball. We want to remind you this show is powered by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today for your free sign-up bonus. Off-season's upon us, folks. This has been Lakers beat. I, I mean Celtics beat. I'm Adam Kaufman. Talk to you soon.